Welcome to CII Podcasts. It's someone we all know pretty well. At least this community does not need any introduction as such. But those of you not familiar, Brendan Kane is a truly out of the box thinker, a profound speaker and author who empowers brands to scale by helping them stand out and beat competition in a very very overheated, crowded and oversaturated market. I think that's he's addressing probably the core issue that most businesses and marketers and brands face today. And of course as he's the author of the international best selling book 1 million followers and and he's got a new book which has got released which is Hook Point and how to stand out in a 3 second world. Very very interesting title and which promises um, um you know one thing that we will have a very interesting discussion going forward. He's also the founder and CEO of the Hook Point agency and he's worked with hundreds of individuals and brands providing business and digital strategy for more than 15 years including names like MTV, Taylor Swift, Rihanna and many others. So with that I'd like to welcome Brendan Kane uh into the show. Hi Brendan. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for the the kind introduction. It's a true pleasure to connect with you and everybody that's listening to this. Absolutely, Brendan. It's it's a pleasure. Um you you are speaking to an audience which will have a lot of people of course in the digital marketing fraternity but also people who are building their businesses right from the scratch. Let me jump straight away if that's okay with you um into the way we looking at uh you know the business as such. The first question that comes to my mind is it why is it important to have 1 million followers for a brand? Why is it so important for a brand to have so many followers? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think it first starts off with what are the real goals of the brand? That's where I always start. So sometimes uh we will have brands or corporations come to us uh and they initially say, "Well, we just want to focus on follower growth," but when we get into the business, they're they're looking for lead generation at scale. So to me it's like, well, let's set the foundation for the key KPIs, the key performance indicators that you're going after, whether it's lead generation, traffic acquisition, sales, drive that up and then we can reinvest in the longer strategy because uh followers organic strategy is a long-term brand play. Can it be extremely valuable? Yes. It, it definitely can. uh but again it's like what it what does a business need today what does a corporation need today and let's start there you know it's like if you need leads or sales why would we focus on generating a follower and then trying to convince that follower to turn into a lead or a customer versus let's just go after the lead or the customer first and then when we have that system scaling it's profitable driving the growth that we're looking for then we can really look at how we maximize uh social audiences. In addition, uh when we talk about uh generating followers at any scale, 10,000, a million, 10 million, you have to understand that your content strategy has to be really dialed in. Because we now live in a world where there's a ton of people on social media producing a ton of content every day, and just because you have a follower does not mean that that follower is actually going to see your content. because there is so much competition and the algorithms which controls who sees what content has to prioritize the content that that plays to their business goals and 
the social media platform's goals is retention. Because the longer that they spend on these platforms, the more ads they can serve. So they're always going to favor content that is one, stopping the scroll and grabbing the attention and then holding that attention for as long as possible. So even if we gave everybody on this call a million followers tomorrow, if their content strategy is not dialed in, the value behind that is not going to be as high as the people that really focus on content first, having the right strategy to play to getting that reach and distribution. Absolutely. Um, I think Brendan, you, you, you said it absolutely very accurately. And this is probably one of the dilemmas people face, which is that, you know, what is their objective? What, what do they really want to get at finally from their uh, social media engagement? Uh, is is absolutely crucial to define right upfront. So, you know, you mentioned having the correct content strategies, probably very, very keen uh, to uh, achieving this success and, and making something out of your 1 million followers in line with what your strategy is. But in, in your view, what is the most common mistake brands and people make uh, when they're actually looking at, uh, you know, creating followership? Yeah, so first just starting off kind of the world that we live in that kind of creates that problem that people run into is like, as we all know, the world has completely shifted over the past 20 years. But what we find is people's approach to marketing and content hasn't really adapted with that changing market. So let's just go back to 2001. You know, it's pretty safe to say there's probably a million content creators on the planet that are reaching the masses because content distribution to the masses was heavily regulated. You had to go through a newspaper, a television, a radio station to reach that. So not everybody had access to it versus you fast forward to today, there's now 3.96 billion content creators on the planet producing hundreds of billions of messages and content into the world every day. And Unfortunately, that means that we're competing against all of them. So as a business owner, as a corporation, you're not just competing against your direct competition anymore. You're competing against every piece of organic content, every ad out there. So like it or not, you're competing with a Kim Kardashian, a Jimmy Fallon, a political content, and even that teenage influencer down the street, which makes it extremely you know, difficult to stand out. And that's where a lot of people are going wrong with their content. And, you know, I'm going to walk through, we have a, a viral content engineering process that, that we've developed based upon this. Uh, and we've used this viral content engineering process to generate over 50 billion views organically, hundreds of millions of fo followers for our clients and billions in revenue. And the first place to start is it's kind of interesting because in science, we leverage centuries of trial and error data and experience to make our advancements. Yet we find when it comes to content, we discard millions of data points that are available to us, oftentimes for free, just so that we can be original, to just do something completely different. You know, And the question is why? It's kind of like this, this analogy of reinventing the wheel. You know, as the guy's got the wheel here, and these guys are saying, no, thanks. We're just, we're just too busy here. So this is 
to your to your question, this is where most companies or content creators are falling short. Is everybody, and I see this over and over again, we start with brand guidelines. The brand guidelines then drive our creative ideation process. And then from creative ideation, we go to monthly and quarterly content plans. Then we produce and post, and then we review the results monthly and quarterly, and then go back to the creative ideation process. Now, this doesn't work because it's minimizing the impact of data on the creative decisions. Again, it's a brand guideline that is guiding that process. And the reality of the situation is nobody's logging onto social media to say, I want to see branded content. I want to see a brand logo. I want to see you know, what brand's mission. They're going to engage with stories. So it, it this model doesn't uh, take advantage of the opportunistic agile creative output to really understand and maximize what works in the algorithms today. Because again, the algorithms control reach and distribution. Uh, and this model is completely reactive. There's really no process in place for accountability, iteration and growth based upon these granular results. And at the end of the day, and a lot of people say this, oh, well, going viral is luck. It's not, it's just the process that you're using it is relying on luck to hope that it works. So this is the, the viral content engineering process that we've developed over the past 17 years of starting at the earliest stages of social media and, and scaling to where it is today. If you notice, there is nothing on here that talks about brand. It's not right. to say that you can't integrate brand into it, but it's starting with research is we are always starting with references. What is working? What is not working? And right. oftentimes, when you look at the competitive landscape, people always start with their competitors, but because brands are failing 99% of the time, if you're looking at your direct competitors, yes, it can tell you what not to do, but I would say most brands are looking at their competitors to inform what they should do. So oftentimes when we're working with brands in this research phase, we are going into completely different industries going looking at influencers and other content creators that are having that success to then inform our creative and ideation process. So we're using this research to really do our hypothesis building to drive our creative ideation process. So it's based on data and science. And then another important thing is we're going into single iteration production planning. Most brands are creating a slate of what are we going to produce for the next quarter? What we're talking about is each piece of content should be produced individually so that we can review the results and, and understand whether I have our hypothesis held true so that we can then go back to the research phase and keep fueling it. Because if we're, we're just creating a whole slate of content, it makes it very difficult to understand what is driving success or lack thereof. And it also puts you in a position where you're not agile enough to keep, you know, uh, enhancing your overall performance. So again, why this model works, it's, it's built on research. It's built on what works for the audiences rather than the creator's affinities or the brand's affinities or those brand guidelines. I'm not here to say brand's not important. I'm just saying leading with brand often gets you into trouble from a performance standpoint, because it's just focusing your your intent focus on what you want to say, 
versus what the audiences want to hear and what also the algorithms are looking for. Uh, so again, this, this data-informed ideation, this uh, research-backed process um, exponentially increases the quality of your creative process and it, and it leads to efficiencies uh, of you know, the production budgets, your marketing budgets, and it's extremely efficient for learning. So there's no wasted success and more importantly, there's no wasted failures. We don't look at a failure as a negative thing as long as we're learning from it. And most companies, they just keep posting the same stuff and they're not learning from it, thus they're not growing. And, and another big thing is this, this process really focuses on, on quality and results over quantity. Because one of the biggest fallacies in, in social media marketing is it's a frequency game. It's how much content can we produce? I'm not saying that can't work, but people are jumping to producing as much content as possible before they understand what really works. Amazing insight, Brendan. I think uh, when uh, we look at several brands which have done it well, and unfortunately, a lot of brands don't get it right. It's about saying that I, I, I've done something and it's it's... It seems to be working or doesn't seem to be, but I don't have the patience, but I keep doing the same thing over and over again, hoping that something will actually go viral or catch the attention of the people, as opposed to an iterative process from which I'm continuously learning, right? And um, making course corrections, sometimes even having to abandon what probably, you know, we believe is right, and go out there. And what I also hear you telling, is intuitively the brand messages will get in we don't have to be worried about abandoning our core positioning messages that we want to give it is just that we're making it iterative to learn in what way can we co communicate that message uh, with impact is my understanding right is, is this right yes yeah, so well, when we work with brands we never change who they are we never change what they want to share it's just the way that we contextualize it so it works in today's world. Because if it comes off like you're trying to sell something, if it comes off like just, hey, this is my brand, you should pay attention to it, it falls flat. Because again, going back to the beginning of the, you're fighting against hundreds of billions of pieces of content. And that means the algorithms have to prioritize. And it's, it's, it's really a cutthroat world because if the algorithms have hundreds of billions of pieces of content to choose from, if your content doesn't stack up against that, it's never going to get that reach. So for example, uh, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a top influencer on TikTok. He's, he's just hit 20 million followers. And we were looking at the difference between his most viewed video, which has 90 million views, and, his, and another video that had 5 million views. Mm -hmm. And the difference was in the retention is the, the, the 90 million view had a 28 second retention the 5 million one had seven seconds or 21 seconds so a seven second difference that is the level of difference that we're talking about because again there's so much content to choose from now even if you're focused on paid it does skip your you having to play to the algorithms because you're paying for that reach but that doesn't mean just because you're paying for the reach mean you're going to stop the scroll and grab that attention. And the auctions play similar to, similarly to the algorithms. The, 
the ads that grab attention and hold attention for longer period of time, they will give you a lower cost in the auction versus the content that isn't good, that isn't grabbing that attention, holding that attention, your cost in the auction is going to go higher. Because again, the the holy grail for these companies is their feed, is their retention. So they do not want to put anything into a user's feed if it's going to detract from their end goal. Absolutely. So in many ways, you've got to uh, learn how to get your pound of fish in, in the whole thing, as opposed to what the publisher is trying to achieve, which could be at loggerhead sometimes with what you're saying. Right. So, you know, you've run many, many successful uh, campaigns yourself, Brandon. Uh, what were some of those uh, nuggets or uh, learning that we can get from some of the most successful campaigns that you've run? Yeah, and I'll go back to to share um, a few things here that I think can um, that are coming from our, our learnings. So uh, number one, you know, this is after doing this for 17 years, we've really distilled it down to the physics of delivering a message and the new book hook point dives into this uh, deeply. But we, what we really look at is, is kind of three pillars to successful marketing at scale, whether you're talking about organic or paid is one, you've got to grab that attention because if you're not stopping the scroll or in the case of YouTube, earning that clip on a uh, click on like a suggested video or even an ad, you get lost in the noise because that's sick. That's the first signal to an algorithm or an auction that your content's not good. But we're not just talking about clickbait here. We're not talking about tricking people because the algorithms, and the auctions are too smart for that at this point. So it's how do we hold that attention? Because as we know, attention without substance really has no value. And then third, it's like, how do we monetize that attention? How does it play to the overall business goals? Because all the attention in the world really means nothing unless you truly monetize it. So when we look at our most successful campaigns, they're all playing these three core pillars. If any one of these are missing, that's when it falls apart. You know, if we don't grab attention, we can never get to our story. We can never get to our brand mission. You know, if we grab attention and hold that attention, but it doesn't play to the overall business objectives, then it's not sustainable. You know, we can't keep investing in that direction. So that's really kind of what we've really learned at, at a high level uh, from our most successful campaigns is the ones that are successful include each of those three key pillars that really allows us to scale. Amazing, amazing, Brandon. I think that's very crucial. And I think, so would you actually look at creating content which is in stages so that you can act It grabs the attention, holds the attention, and continues the engagement. Yes, we look at it, at it, every piece of content, every piece of strategy. Now, does that mean that every piece of content needs to sell something? No. It, you know, sometimes we are building content just to grab that attention and hold attention so that we can acquire audience, we can acquire reach. And then the beauty of these social platforms and media buying platforms, you can always retarget. So oftentimes we'll create a strategy that's really about gaining reach, gaining engagement, gaining awareness, and then the more direct response element of it will just be used in a different piece of creative that's used for retargeting. And I think that that's 
people oftentimes make a misstep with that or don't realize that is each piece of content can have its own purpose in the overarching strategy. Absolutely, man. You know, which brings us to another question. You know, when we talked about different types of content, um, the question is, are there any rule or rules uh, that one has to follow while creating content for different types of audiences? As we know, brands have to engage with different types of audiences and what they want to achieve with each of these audiences can be very different. So looking at that, is there a rule that you would like brands to follow when they're creating content for different audiences? Yeah, to me, and where we have a lot of success and where brands typically fail is, again, going back to the algorithms, they want content that's going to hold attention with the most amount of people possible. So oftentimes we're working with clients of how can we make this message or this piece of content interesting and engaging for the general population, but also plays to that core target that we're trying to speak to. Because the minute we create a, con a piece of content for a very specific niche audience and the algorithms try and test it outside of that niche audience and they see it falls flat, it's going to nosedive your reach and then you're not going to reach your core audience. Now that's for organic paid. You have a little bit more flexibility with hyper targeting those messages. Uh, but again, what it comes down to is how are you contextualizing this to stop the scroll? And then what is a story that you're telling to hold that, that attention and, and, and increase the retention graph as much as possible from both in a paid and organic perspective. But where we found the most success is, is not hyper focusing on the message for a specific audience, but how do we make it digestible for the, the widest audience possible, but then still plays to the core message that we want to deliver. So I'll give you an example. There's a, a real estate agent called Ryan Surhand. He's wildly successful on social media and he specializes in selling the most expensive homes in the world. So he's selling homes that are 10, 30, 50, $100 million, which you would think, well, there's only so many people in the world that can afford that. But what he did that was so brilliantly and continues to do is he makes his content digestible for the general audience. So he says, I'm going to take you on a tour of a $7 million closet. I'm going to go show you a $150 million ranch. Now the general audience would love to see that piece of content, but also the individual buyer is interested because he's playing to that general audience. He gets massive reach. He reaches millions, in some cases, tens of millions of viewers. And within that subset of audience, a very small fraction or percentage actually have the ability to engage Ryan either for that specific property or just in general. And he has said that he has sold 10, 20, $30 million properties off a single YouTube organic video. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, you know, we can go on and on Brendan with you, but uh, yeah, I know we're running short of time, but we'll not let you go without uh, asking you probably a very, very fundamental question uh, that marketers get asked all the time, which is ROI is a fundamental and inescapable. This is a mantra we often hear amongst uh, social media campaign managers. Do you think marketers need to look beyond the immediate ROI against the benefit coming in from long-term impressions? So it's really about, you know, how do you strike a balance? 
Yeah, and and as we kind of talked about in the beginning, is the number one goal is how are we driving the business forward? So there's there's kind of a dual approach. There's that kind of short term strategy of how do we fuel the KPIs and, and ROI, and then the long term strategy. You know, in 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 understanding the delineation between the two, and also the purpose of different content formats, different content campaigns for the long-term strategy versus the short-term strategy. But as I mentioned, even with the long-term strategy and playing to massive reach, massive, massive engagement, you can always retarget. So if you're playing to what the algorithms are looking for from an organic perspective, you're building that reach, you're building that engagement, you can always retarget with direct response ads. So I think both are critically important. Obviously, ROI allows us to invest more, allows us to spend more resources into both sides of the strategy. Uh, but I think both are critically important. It's just understanding and delineating uh, both tracks and how they can c compound and play off of each other for both short and long-term success. So, you know, um... You know, as I was saying, I think we can go on and on. I'm afraid that, you know, we covered a lot of ground, but we still have a lot of questions that are still there. But we will look forward to, uh, you know, asking you and engaging with you on more of these. And I'm sure many of these are answered in your book as well. But if you have time, um, you know, if you were to give one last piece of advice, even in the form of a don't on, on social media following creation, what would that be from your experience? What is one thing that we should definitely not do? Lead with brand. <laughs> Lead with brand and, and ignore the research part. Again, I'm not saying that brand is not important. I'm not saying brand can play a, a, a critical role, but start with research. You know, Don't skip that part. Really become a student of what works, what doesn't work, and allow that to inform the creative decisions that you're making in any type of marketing campaign, whether that is organic or paid. Amazing, amazing, Brandon. You're giving, giving us an advice, which is very different from very classical ways of looking at branding and management. But I think it, it's very, very important. I think in my own experience and uh, looking at so many brands all over, all over India and how they're growing, I think this was absolutely something that everybody should pay attention to. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.